Welcome to Unframed, the podcast which hosts talks and conversations about South African art and artists. I am your host, Anthea Pockroy. In this episode, I chat with Banele Koza about his artistic and curatorial practice. This is the final episode in a series on Unframed called Artists in Isolation, which profiles South African artists during the lockdown period of the COVID-19 pandemic. As we in South Africa enter level three of lockdown, we end the series, but we'll continue producing content that keeps the art community connected and inspired. Banele Koza is a Swaziland-born and South African-based visual artist. He first enrolled at the London International School of Fashion in Johannesburg, but soon realized his passion was drawing. Koza holds a BTEC in Fine Arts from Chwane University of Technology in Pretoria. In 2017, he won the prestigious Gerard Sokoto Award and with it a three-month residency at the Cité International des Arts in Paris. He has had solo exhibitions at Pretoria Art Museum, Lisa Moore Gallery, Smith Studio and Zeitzmacher and has also curated many group exhibitions. In 2018, he opened BKHZ, a gallery and studio space in Bramfontein, Johannesburg. Banele has also been awarded the Mail and Guardian 200 Young South Africans. Enjoy listening to my conversation with Banele Koza. Hi, Banele. Welcome to Unframed. Thank you so much for joining me for today's episode. Hi, Anthea. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. I am very excited to talk to you. Sure, in doing research for your interview, you are all over the internet, man. <laughs> you... <laughs> I'm so impressed with your social media presence, I think, and I want to talk about it a little bit more later, but yes. you've really been recognized as like a, a shining star is such a cliche, but uh, let's just go with that for now. And I, yeah, so I'm really excited to talk to you and to explore all the things that you're doing as an artist, as a curator, and as a gallery director of BKHZ. So, Vanelle, I'd like you to please introduce yourself to our audience. Who is Vanelle Koza? I really like that question because for me, it's going to come as a twofold. Who I am by myself, I'm really just a sensitive, yeah, a sensitive individual who's just constantly wandering in the background of many things. However, what I do is I'm a painter. I curate I own BKZ, um, which is my brainchild. And yeah, I, I think that's the summary of who I am. And I'm just passionate about um, the things that I'm interested in. Yeah, um, this question is a very conscious one for me because I like to hear how a person creates like a hierarchy of their identity. You know, what do they yes. what do they say first when they say who they are? Do they identify with their job? Do they identify with their personality? Do they identify with their race or their nationality? Or, you know, like, how does it go in terms of the hierarchy? So thank you for enjoying the nuance of that question. Yes. <laughs> it's also because I listened to your previous podcast and I was like, I definitely don't identify immediately with what I do, but mm. who I am. Yeah. And basically my personality leads me into all the spaces I find myself in. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And we're going to explore that in a little bit. But in the meantime, I just want to ask, where can our listeners see your work while they're listening to this interview? 
I think immediately where it's fun to view my work, it's on my Instagram because I update it every day and I literally enjoy that space to engage in different nuances around what I do. And I also have got my website, which is vanillacosa.com. And on Instagram, it's vanillacosa. And then there's also the BKHZ website. Yes. So with BKHZ, it's BKHZ dot art for the website and our instagram is bkz great so given the context we're in i'd like to speak to you about how you're doing during this lockdown and this period of isolation i think it's been seasons while i've been on lockdown i think i'm nearing my third month from the 16th Mm -hmm. and the first month i think i tried to hold on to my past identity where it is about hyper-productivity. And I I think the moment I was home, I just thought I could do it even better. Like I could be more creative, more giving more of an output and just really being present to ideas. And it worked, but it also, I had crashes as well because I don't think the mind immediately could register the impact of why we're at home And Mm -hmm. also, like, my ambitions, just realizing that, yes, you want to be all this, but there's something greater happening outside. And I think into the second month, I eased into the balance of being productive and also resting and being mindful of what's really happening and taking care of my mental state, Mm -hmm. which that for me is always a priority because I feel like if I don't take care of how my brain processes things, then I can't be effective. And now leading to the third month, to be honest, I feel like I'm on holiday (laughs) and I'm not really happy with that, but also it's really good for me because I've never known how to rest in the many years that I've been practicing and also as a child. And this has forced me really to rest and see the joys of what it can be if you initiate more rest and then work. Benele, tell me a little bit about your background and your artistic journey. How have you gotten to where you are today? Uh, I think it's many years of exploring myself within diaries. I've kept a lot of diaries since I was a child. I, I didn't immediately realize that it was like a creative path because I think where I grew up, the pursuit of medicine and anything medical re- related, that was kind of like it for my parents. And that's what they had as us, what they aspired for myself and my siblings. And then much later, because I studied the sciences, the biology and everything, Mm. I just took a risk and asked my parents that, can I please study fashion first? If that doesn't work out, then I'll try lead back into the sciences. But while I was doing fashion, I didn't feel like I was at home immediately. Mm. So I then ventured into fine arts, which immediately felt like home. Like it was a breeze throughout the four years of studying I think I was also lucky that my mom also believed in the arts that I was doing because um, she would see it paying for my registration, paying for my school fees at times, and just seeing that creative entrepreneurship spirit, I think it encouraged them to 
like still support me yeah. um, while studying for fine art. And then actually on my second year, I started being picked up by galleries. Oh, wow. um, first it was one in Pretoria. And immediately, like the first show I did, it had artists that I looked up to. So it immediately give, gave me the inclination that I was on the right path yeah. and I should just continue. And then uh, I think by the end of my fourth year, I was already preparing for my first solo at the Pritchard Museum. And that also just became another affirmation that you are on the right path. And I was lucky to even attract Sean O'Toole, who wrote incredible articles around the show, which was on Freeze. Wow. And yeah, like I think as someone who's still who's just barely out of varsity, that again just kept on affirming me. And I, I think I'm big on affirmation. So that for me is always like a positive towards whatever you think you should be following. From there, every year I, I got a solo at a different space. Um, so it was Johannesburg after, it was Cape Town, and then another museum show, Zeitsmoka. And that, for me, just told me that whatever you put your mind in, I can actually achieve. Yeah. And I think that's where I'm at now. That's amazing. I think it's quite a unique narrative of becoming an artist, because I think you don't sound like you had those struggle years, <laughs> like many artists, you know, where you're working and kind of nothing kind of happens, but you need to keep on pushing yourself. So it's amazing that you kept on having these kind of validations that you were on the right path. I think my struggles were mostly in varsity, if I'm being honest. I think because already by then my mind was fixated on the idea that I want to be a creative, but then I had personal at home, we had financial issues that were much bigger than I ever expected. And with that, it taught me that I have to provide for myself and for my journey. By the time I was 21, my parents completely cut me off. I don't think it's new for many people, but to be cut off in a creative sector, that's a different topic. Yeah. While some other creatives still have backing from family, friends and everything. But for me, I just had to figure it out from there. And it's five years later and I'm still able to do it. So yeah. I, I think I'm lucky in that respect. Well, lucky and very smart about how you've, you've done it. Thank you. I appreciate that. Tell me, did your fashion degree influence your art practice in any way? I think the pursuit of wanting to be a fashion designer probably helped a lot in the navigation because I think when because I wanted to be a fashion designer since I was like probably 12 um, not understanding the full capacity of the job however I envisioned a space like BKZ so it was like I'm going to open a house for my practice and I'm going to have different tiers of creativity or for instance like knowing that some houses they get established and then have staff for different reasons into the practice. And that model almost shifted it into my art practice where I think while I was still in varsity, I already had like assistants. And even now running BKZ in my own practice, I do have a team that I work with and I'm constantly collaborating 
And that I see very closely in how uh, a fashion brand gets established and also recreates itself and reimagines its identity throughout the years. So I think I learned that a lot from the fashion industry. Mm, that's a very interesting inspiration. And I think also there's a lot of design elements that come up in your practice and in BKHZ. And, you know, so what is your perspective on the relationship between art and design? I think when I studied design formally in grade 12, um, so we had a design class. And the first thing our teacher told us was that design is about solving problems. It, it didn't immediately register because I think as a student, you think designing is about drawing and making something. And the moment I understood the term about solving issues, it was much later. So the idea of design, I think, really resonated while I was in progress with BKZ. And that also began, to be honest, when I was in my second year, I think that's when I designed the logo of BKZ. I think I hadn't fully resolved what it would be, but I know that now in practice of what we're doing is basically we're trying to solve creative economy where I'm using my platforms and also my network to build a space that fosters other creatives that wouldn't have immediately had the opportunity to either collaborate with bigger artists on a show or to share a spotlight with those artists. Yeah, so that's what I think we're really passionate about with BKZ. And I think even at this point, I'm understanding that I'm in the building phase. And I know a lot of people who could start a project like this and not immediately see the returns. Because yeah. normally in the idea of a business, it's that there should be economic return immediately. But for me, I'm aware that building something, it takes time. And the, the results could be different while you're starting and then eventually lead you into what consists a successful business. Yeah. So let's talk a bit more about your artistic practice I think it's important for us to understand you as an artist and then how that feeds into the intention and the mission of BKHZ. So I was first exposed to your work in 2017 at the APSA La Italia competition. And I remember the work so vividly. Uh -huh. And I really remember thinking that it was something special and that the sky was going somewhere. But I obviously wasn't alone because you won the Jared Sakoto Award that year. So yeah, just this beautiful collection of drawings and text that were pinned up in a large grid. Um, can you tell us a bit more about this work that sent you to Paris? Yes, it's so interesting because I feel like I had to reflect on that as well recently about how it came about. And to be honest, and I think like any other good body of work, you do it without being conscious that you're making something that will be award-winning or anything like that. And I just really created from my tablet. Um, I think it was recordings of either I'm at the gym because I would travel with my tablet there sometimes. I'd be in a classroom listening to like a lecture because the work was made between 2016 and 2017. So it was like different settings where I came up with the body of work. I know I also used to draw before I slept and sometimes when I wake up or when I'm traveling. 
And all these recordings were really just, when I look at it now, later, I think it was in the complexity of um, gender and also its expectations and how it should be performed. Mm. And for me, battling with that idea because I don't think, like, from years have I identified as, like, a traditional male. I think the soul of my, uh, the sex of my soul is female and it's in a male body. So I feel like I've got these two energies that I'm constantly balancing and having to present a specific way as well. I think those are the complexities I was trying to foreground in that work. Um, and just the idea that I enjoy pink. Even right now, I'm wearing a pink jersey. <laughs> I've got a pink throw. I've got pink cushions. Your gallery walls are pink? I think, yes, my place as well is pink. <laughs> yes. I think going through that in a society that tries to box you in a blue box, saying that's what you should be, and also parents expecting that, I, I think it's hard for any sensitive person or even any person actually, because then you have to now carry out something that's not you 100%. Mm. Also, I was raised in a small town where I remember vividly when I was in like kindergarten, the girls would send me off to the boys and the boys would send me off to the girls because I just didn't belong in either space. Mm. That's where I think writing diaries and journals took place because I was just a loner where I didn't feel like I belonged in either world. Yeah, I, I would say that's what really the body of work was about. I think for me, something that is so inspiring and strong about you as an artist is your authenticity and the way in which you allow yourself to be so vulnerable to the world. And I, I admire that so much. I think your t the text in your work is the thing that becomes like this confessional diary entry kind of very vulnerable presentation of yourself. Yes. And yeah, tell me a little bit about how it feels to present yourself so vulnerably to the world. If I'm being honest, I think because I create my work in safe spaces, um, which has mostly been my home, like this is not even where I was raised. It's like my own constructed home. Mm. Uh, I feel very comfortable to be myself here more than I am when I'm at home where I was born. And I think having that safety has allowed me to be without question or fear of rejection or anything because also I stay by myself so I, I can't pretend in my own place and I can't pretend when I'm making and I think that's what makes it easy for me like I never think that whatever I'm creating now is going to end up at this platform mm. I just create with the intention of solving an inner conflict or creating to, I mean, like yesterday I painted about someone I really like right now mm -hmm. and they don't, I think they know, <laughs> but we haven't discussed it. <laughs> and it's, it's a vulnerable space for myself because I'm so used to rejection as well. And to be creating about this person now as well, just to acknowledge it to myself that actually, yes, you do like this person and they matter so much that they're now showing in your work and also how you navigate life. I think that's how I end up presenting that way as well in public. 
and the same with social media because I do that as well there. For me, I see the numbers on social media, but when I'm posting something, I'm just dealing with an inner conflict that I wish to address within myself. Mm. And I know it will probably resonate with someone else. And that's why I'll easily shape there as well. And just to maybe give you also where that courage comes from, I actually listened to Brené Brown's The Power of Vulnerability. Yes. And yeah, I think that changed my life. Wow. Like listening to that podcast, I knew that my strength is in my vulnerability and me being myself. And I don't think if I had never listened to it, I don't think I'd be as courageous. That's incredible. I've listened to that too, but it didn't have the same effect on me, unfortunately. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Maybe I need to to listen to it again. But um, it's almost as if we're watching your journey of self-discovery through social media, but also through the participation of your audience. I mean, we're friends on Facebook and I always see you posting the most beautiful, challenging questions. And I'm interested in in this idea of participation in, in your work. Do you feel that it's something that is part of your process? Is it the artwork? Is it a process of data collection? Are you seeking advice? Are you wanting to connect? What is your drive when you are reaching out to other people? I think the drive is mostly in connection. I think staying by yourself for a long time, which is now probably nine years, you reach points where you're dealing with loneliness. Um, It's no longer solitude. And loneliness is an indicator that you should connect. I I think there's so many instances where I'll be in the public. Like, so for instance, if I'm outside, a lot of people will try to engage with me in the space of what I do than who I am. Things that matter to me is when someone checks in on you, like, how are you? Like, that question for me is very important. Mm. And that's what I never get. People are just like, oh, I saw what you did there. And it's always these things that are almost like status updates of what you're doing in the workforce, but not who I am. Yeah. And the moment I'm posing the questions on social media, it's me trying to engage in what I'm dealing with or what I'm thinking about. And when people answer that, they're not thinking of anything else but that question in that point to as far as people will address the things that are so close to themselves like this I think last week I asked about what is your soul whispering to you Mm. and that's a very private conversation but people responded to it and I think people want to connect to that level and connect beyond what we present like the built identities which are often false identities because it's who we want to be perceived as compared to who we really are. Yeah, as I said, that's something that really stands out for me about you is your, I mean, you're you're an excellent painter, obviously, as well, but um, the, the connection between the painting and the text and that participation for me is, is very interesting and very unique and, and very powerful. And can I just maybe add something? Yes. Uh, I think, interestingly, why the text would often exist behind the background is because of my lack of confidence in my writing for the longest time. And I like that you acknowledge that you're seeing me grow 
in the audience or like in my platforms. And that's the reality. I, I think that's what happens when a lot of people discover and immediately put you in a spotlight while you're still very young. You have to deal with it in the public sphere. And for me, I realized that I just have to grow into whatever I am in the acknowledge or in the acknowledgement of everyone. And also if I'm able to share to that depth and show my vulnerabilities, then there aren't really high expectations. Because mm-hmm. I think the moment you're in a spotlight, you feel like you should be something other than yourself. Yeah. Like now my writing, a lot of people are seeing the writing, but I've actually really just only grown into it now where I can accept sharing text only because there's no hiding behind text. Like what you put out, that's what it is. While in painting, it can be, it can exist in ambiguity. Like, and the artist can choose not to speak about what they're saying. But when there's text, it's direct. It's just like, that's the truth. Mm. I want to talk about the painting. You work in watercolor and gouache, and you also produce digital paintings. Am I correct about the medium? (laughs) Yes, 100%. Okay, cool. How would you describe your style of painting? And you work a lot with portraiture. And what are you trying to show in your subjects? I think what I've really been interested in especially with the sitas that come through or even sometimes self-portraits, I think I'm always interested in who they are at a deeper level because before the painting begins, we'll literally engage for probably an hour, 30 minutes. And I ease the the conversation by either introducing food or... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like there's it, always something that breaks the ice yeah. so that they really can open up and be comfortable I don't know how I'm able to channel that energy but that's what normally ends up being translated into the painting so I'll just feed off whatever they're going through at that period and then channel that so are you painting from life always uh yes oh wow so okay. if if it resembles a model or a sitar it, it definitely is a painting from life. Okay. Uh, and I've, I've avoided painting from a photograph because that actually becomes a self-portrait more than anything. Just explain that. That's interesting. Uh, because you can look at the image, but the truth is um, you're also channeling your emotions at mm. that point. Yeah. You're channeling your mind, where your mind is at, and specifically if it's not like if it's expressive like if you fall in the genre of expressive art then you definitely are channeling who you are and that becomes the picture just becomes a skeleton for you to create from and to be honest it's the same with the portraits of sitas they become the skeleton of sometimes what is going on within myself as well so is it like an energy that the life drawings are important to you because there's like an energy that emerges from the sitter that influences the way that your work manifests? Yes, okay. that's true. Yeah. That is true. And the style, like, uh, you know, it's figurative, it's a bit abstract, it's a bit illustrative. How would you describe your style? So I think why the style isn't fixed for me I still see my style as in in development 
I don't think I've fully channeled who I am through my painting because it still has influences. And the main influence that's always constantly brought through is Malin Dumas. Mm. And why it is Malin Dumas, it's also because I think if I'd never seen her painting of Moshe Gua, I don't think I'd be a painter because when I saw it immediately, I was like, I want to paint like this. This is, if I were to make a painting, this is how I'd wish it would look like. And also what I hope it would embody, which is like highly emotive. I think many years I was trying to aspire to that set of skill. And it just so happened that all that experimentation happened with me already being in spaces where my work is now visible. So I still think I'm still figuring out my painting style and my identity in this process. And I think where it will feel fully resolved for me and hopefully in the public sphere is it could be in my 60s or 40s. I don't know. But right now, I'm still trying to also figure myself within the medium of painting. Yeah. I'm interested in this idea that you're kind of growing in front of the audience, you know, because they've kind of been watching you from from early on. Are you fearful that you might get like stuck in a style because people really like it? You know, is there like maybe a comfort in the acceptance of your current work? And how do you actually push yourself to to produce new and different and change your style and everything? I'm really grateful for that question because I, I see it with a lot of artists where they end up only channeling one style because yes, that's exactly. what's popular Absolutely. and that's, that's what selling. is accepted. Yeah, that's what's selling as well. Yeah. How I always challenge myself is to put myself in different contexts or different mediums where it's saying one thing but in different channels or saying it with different mediums. I think I'm also already breaking away from, because I think when I was working closely with other galleries that always say we want that portrait and even the buyers are like, we like the portraiture. While I was already trying to experiment with abstraction um, where it's just a complete colorway or something like that. And that wouldn't be immediately encouraged because that's not what's going to sell immediately. Mm. And I think me opening my own space, it was about me accepting all the ideas that I want to do that aren't immediately a return financially, but it's still an exploration of myself. And I know like now in lockdown, I painted flowers (laughs) and that was very scary for me because I've never painted flowers. I've never presented it in public. But I've always kept flowers. Like, I think in this room alone, I'm probably sitting with 12 flowers. Wow. Yeah, I I really enjoy that world because that for me teaches me life. Like how plants grow, I think there's a lot of lessons that I learned from them. And to be honest, the reception wasn't the same as when it's a series of portraits. Yeah. And that also gave me a knock of regular expectations or regular performance that I'm used to or a regular response rate. But it was interesting when a collector that I respect and a former gallerist actually reached out and told me, they're like, I really love your flowers and I'd like you to explore that more. So 
when that happened, it actually gave me courage that I can continue exploring. I don't have to be constantly tied to what people are enticed by at this moment. And that's why also the idea of curating also came into existence because I, I think at some point you do get bored of the same thing that you constantly put out. Mm. Like, I feel like the brain wants other things that you should explore that will probably enrich the painting once more and also the writing. Like right now, I'm really, I think the past few years, I've been more focused in writing than painting. Mm. And also it's scary for me to be in that space because I've never really channeled out and said, oh, I'm also a writer. Here is my writing. Yeah. But there's so many essays that I've written in that period where a lot of people are asking, they're like, want you painting but they're not aware that I'm actually creating something else yes I want to just pick up on the you know the conversation we were having about producing new work and the fact that you've opened your own space in order to kind of maybe not be confined by the expectations of a gallery Mary Corrigal wrote an article and referred to you as the post-gallery artist So tell me about this intention and how it plays itself out. What is your strategy there? Uh, (laughs) I always laugh about how BKZ came about. I think it's been in process subconsciously for many years, I think nearly half of my life. However, when I finally got the chance to implement it, I kind of like risked by saying that it's a pop-up just to lower expectations to <laughs> yeah. people because if it failed in six months or less than a year and it's happening so publicly, I think it would have knocked me personally. So to start it off as it's a pop-up model, to be honest, I knew that I wanted to curate other people's works, but when I was opening it, it wasn't immediate like it was immediate that's the journey now this is this is it happening I think it happened with me still feeling like it's a dream and post that I mean now we about to be two years I think I was able to yeah it's crazy but now I'm aware of really what matters to me and this began in 2015 where Actually, not even 2015. I think I was doing my second year, around the year when they started picking me as an artist. I think that was 2013. There were some of my contemporaries in class that I knew were doing far better than I am in terms of the subject matter, technique, discipline, and also involvement into the practice. And they were just not getting the same opportunities that I was getting. Mm. And that challenged me because it was like, then why am I the only one getting this? Why do you think you were? I I think... It's a hard question, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) It's a very hard question. But I think how I probably justified to myself is... And also, that's where probably my imposter syndrome comes in. Mm. I just always think that... I work hard and also I work very smart. Yes. Uh, I'm always thinking beyond my practice. Like right now, I'm interested in artificial intelligence. I think there's a broader awareness that I have that's beyond my studio. I'm constantly trying to understand 
why the world operates how it operates and how does it impact me directly and the people around me. I, I think that's what BKZ is leading to. It's also just the study of what is happening right now and how is it translating in design of fine art. Mm. And I think now we've really been tied into fine arts when sometimes we do introduce design, but I think our full-on interest has been in the arts. So how did you find this space in Bramfontein? And if you don't mind my asking, how do you actually resource and, and fund the space? How do you keep it going? So the space before it was BKZ, it was Dr. and Mrs. So every time I went to Bram from Pretoria, I would always be going to Stevenson just to see the latest narrative that they had. And I think around that time, I really thought I would, I think I was aspiring to be an artist in that space as well. And then immediately after that, I would go to Dr. and Mrs. to see what they were newly presenting because I really enjoyed the minimalist approach and also play. It's very playful as well in terms of color. It'll be like a very solid object, but it's very colorful and made look to, to look lighter. And I started building that community there where I'd visit the individuals and get to know them as well. And then when they moved out of the space, and I think I'd probably visited the space more than 40 times, I knew I could activate something there because it was close enough to Stevenson, it was close enough to Kalishnikov. Mm. And it was also like Bramfontein for me, kind of like embodied my former self and who are aspiring to be as well, or who have found entertainment as well. So because that then became like, I, I, I planned towards it because I knew the space was available. Mm. And interestingly, it all was just like a smooth transition. I was planning it while I was in my residency in Paris. And the landlord was like, yes, would like to have you. When actually I began the conversation, I was only asking for like a three-month lease. And they were like, let's sign a year lease. Oh, wow. And that for me, I was like, okay, let's do that. But for me, I felt like it was the universe speaking to me that, yes, you're planning this short-term project, but it's going to be much longer than you expect it to be. And then also the funding of it. So I've been saving, I think, since I was in my first year. And each year, the resources grew because of sales from art. I also won a scholarship from the Reserve Bank. And that was like a boost of 50,000 rent. And I was able to pay for school fees with that amount. And the remainder was supposed to like take care of me and my supplies while I was still in varsity. But I knew that I could take care of that aspect. So I just saved that. And the amount just kept on growing exponentially each year. I think in 2018, I had saved enough to get an apartment. I then looked at it and I was like, I could buy an apartment, but an apartment will not give me financial gains immediately. It's almost like 
it wasn't an investment. It was just me acquiring to have a safe space. And I've always invested into my art. And the more I learned that the more I invest into my art, the more returns I get. And I just took that whole amount and opened up the gallery. And even execution, like to repaint and including the floors, changing plug points. For me, I felt if I do my utmost best in its presentation, then there's almost no way it can fail. And if it fails, I would have known I've done my best with it. Yeah. And going forward, is it self-sustainable in terms of art sales? I think we're still in that battle of trying to, because the interesting thing and also something that kind of like still shocks me to date or even gives me perspective is that sometimes you can do something that looks incredible and you believe in it, but sometimes the market isn't ready for that. Yeah. And that some it, it doesn't mean the work is not great. It just means people are either going through COVID. Yeah. There's a bigger issue that sometimes doesn't allow or translate into purchases. I think that I was a bit aware of it, but blind to it. Because if I'm being honest, my work since I started, I think in each week I would make a sale. Wow. And there were days where every day there would be a sale. And that's not the reality for a lot of artists. Yeah. And I think having that has helped BKZ to be where it's at. I think if we're formally or just only relying on the sales of the space, we would have probably closed within the six, the first six months mm. of the space. So I've been pouring all my sales of my work into getting the space to get going till it can stand on its own. Mm, that's amazing. And is that the same with the Cape Town Gallery that you've just opened in the last few months? Yes. So with that, there was um, a pop-up as well. Yes. Uh, and- <laughs> I love this use of the word pop-up. I think it's really a, like a foolproof plan. It's great. Uh, <laughs> um I think, again, why I worded it as a pop-up, it's because I had the intention to be based in Cape Town, uh, like for BKZ to be based in Cape Town, and us having two spaces that engage differently, but still the same experience. That actually occurred with the help of collaborating with Heartlander that I've used in different settings. We've worked with them in an art fair. I've worked with them in an interior project. And it was trying to see how a model like that could work in Cape Town. Mm. What was interesting with it is that we actually, there was a space I was looking into that was, I think, a, a quarter of the space we ended up opening in. And when we got the bigger space, um, it showed me what BKZ could be mm. in the future. Because sometimes when you're thinking only small, you never see the bigger picture. But I think Cape Town showed me the bigger picture of BKZ. And I timed it for a month. I knew that I couldn't sustain that space more than a month mm. because of its high rent and maintenance. So we're just doing a pop-up show Cape Town that we would like to be there. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's and cool. crazy enough, crazy enough is that after February, COVID started coming through. Yeah. So I'm glad I wasn't tied to a long-term plan with it. Yes. And I think this time is get this time has given me further ideas of trying a pop-up elsewhere. So we're gonna try Paris after COVID settles. The thing about what you're doing is you're creating virtual galleries and I'm I'm so impressed because firstly you've been doing it since 2018. You documented yes. your solo exhibition and also group exhibition at Absa Gallery with this virtual gallery software. I, I mean I think you were definitely like one of the first galleries to do that. You know, as soon as COVID hit you were on it. You did the virtual gallery. I do think that's quite indicative of your general digital innovation as an artist, as a curator. I mean, it's obviously a necessary thing to see of this virtual gallery during this time, but I'm curious about what the feedback from people has been about seeing artwork and exhibitions virtually versus in real life. Like, what is the experience of viewers? Uh, <laughs> it's so interesting. <laughs> it, it, it's interesting in the space of it goes back to putting out a good body of work and no one buying it. Oh, gosh, yeah. Yes, <laughs> I, I think that was the immediate experience we had in 2018 when we had our first digital file from APSA and later we implied it into the space where I literally posted on social media and then you only get like 10 likes for it. It's like, how is this possible when you've just put in a physical space into your into the palm of your hands like yes. for me it blew my mind when I first saw it and started implying it as well like being able to have it for BKZ and I think at this point I'm aware that a lot of people are still attached to the traditional way of viewing art mm. that whatever you do right now I think COVID now makes it an essential However, if COVID wasn't really in place, I don't think people would appreciate it. And mm. if media wasn't immediate to catch on it, I'm only getting articles being published around the three details based on our current circumstance. And this is now 2020 when we'd actually started it way prior. So yeah. anything that is kind of ahead of its time it takes time for it to actually be appreciated by the audience yeah absolutely uh i'll just like to add i think also our intention with the 3d tours really were about knowing that there's someone who stays far away and can't make it to the space and really would like to experience the space or the new exhibition that we have we're trying to meet that person. It could be someone in Swaziland, it could be someone in Europe. Um, it was like, how can I bring the gallery to someone who can either cannot afford to be at the space or it's just logistically, it, it's impossible for them to make it just for this one show. Also knowing that if we record and scan this exhibition, it will live on forever while images Kind of, you can record an exhibition with images, but it doesn't feel the same way as having 
a whole experience that you can navigate at the palm of your hands. Yeah, it's like the participation of the of like the clicking through it gives a more tangible experience. Tell me a bit more about the shows that you've curated and tell me more about you as a curator. What what works speak to you as a curator? I think it, it's so interesting how the narratives come through. I, I think the very first ones, like our first show was Behind the Lens. And that was influenced by my interest in psychology and also in photography, seeing a lot of friends that are in the realm of photography, but not having space in galleries because photography even to our experience, is not an immediate generating medium um, financially. But for me, it was like, there's such powerful voices that I would like to bring forward, even if it takes them time, even if it means the space isn't making anything with the show, but would like to dare and do it. I think most of our narratives ended up being that, like trying to bring conversations that aren't centrally commercially driven. It's about the narrative, like what are we trying to say? And it even has gotten to this point now where we try, like I try to tell the team to prepare ahead of time that we have at least six months um, planning, but we just end up not doing so. We literally almost plan a show when we finish producing one show, we then begin planning the next one. And I I think what that helps with is also just being aware of what's happening right now and responding to that. Yes. Like right now we're studying or engaging with artists about how lockdown is influencing them. And then we're going to have a show about that. While if we'd already made a year plan and promised those artists a specific show, then we wouldn't have the flexibility of tackling what is right in front of us. Mm. So I think now, two years later, we are aware that we kind of fall in line as investigative journalism in a way that is presented in artworks. Would you say that that's maybe one of the key differences between yourself and your gallery and maybe more established traditional galleries? I think so. And also, I mean, the team is all under 30. And I think that brings a fresh perspective into what we do, because everyone, we're all in the same framework of thinking. No one is traditional by any sense. Mm. Also, the conversations that we all bring in is influenced by our own lives, because as a team, we always catch up and we're very close to one another in terms of knowing where they are and then bringing that into our curation. So I I think that's what also helps. Like we're all in an equal footing, including the artists as well, where we involve them into the making of the work, their display, and yeah. And you you get a really good mix of, you know, established artists and newer artists that maybe haven't had exposure before. Tell me a little bit about that. I think that when it first happened, it it was unconscious. It was only when friends brought it to my thinking that they were appreciative of the fact that we bring in artists that are super established with young artists. 
at that point, it, it was interesting to see artists that I look up to engage with the space and find it remarkable. At that point, I was still dealing with my own issues of trust in the journey of the space. And when they would say, can I hand you over my work? Can you can we work together? At, at first, for me, it was just, I felt like I couldn't do it because this is someone I've looked up to <laughs> in my formation. And now you're trusting me with your work. It's, it's a huge bulk of trust that they're giving you. Yes. I, I think the moment you got to hang off it and also realizing that they actually appreciate what we do, we started having those conversations more consciously where we realized that as well, that having a superstar artist immediately brings in a crowd. It brings in collectors. That's true. And, and those collectors may already own pieces by that artist, but now they can see new artists that they could start beginning to support. And I, I think that's how it ended up morphing as a curatorial practice. But also all the artists that I've brought in, they actually, in support of me as well as an individual, where they check in on me, like, are you okay with your journey? Uh, is everything going smoothly? Yeah, I think they also just really have a trust. They want to see BKs that grow. That's amazing. So, Vanelle, what keeps you motivated to do all the things, all the things you do? I think I'm in service with my practice, I think it's beyond me now. It's no longer really about my journey, what I want necessarily. It's about empowerment, like empowering other artists, empowering individuals to see themselves beyond what is marked or what is the benchmark. I think I needed that hero when I was growing up mm. and I'm very mindful of my articulation and also presentation in public because whatever I'm molding, someone is looking into it and it's touching someone. It could be one person, it could be a crowd, but whatever I do, I'm aware that it has a ripple effect on others. I think by 2018, early 2018, 2017, I'd already achieved my five-year goals prior to opening the space. Wow. And it was just like, okay, then what else now? Mm. And also I'd realized that the more wealth I accumulated, it, it didn't have a higher impact on my well-being or it, it was just like a growing number that meant I was comfortable, but it wasn't impactful to anyone else but me and I just learned that if I share the resources I could change people's lives and if by any chance I ended up depleting all those resources first of all I knew I'd be okay secondly I knew that my parents could always welcome me yeah <laughs> yeah I, I think I just in my 20s I still have a lot of leeway into playing yeah and building what I hope is the future of the arts. Benele, yeah. you're so young and you've achieved, I mean, how how many years would you kind of say you've had your art career? Like five, seven? 
Um, so it's from 2013. So okay, seven, seven years. yeah. Okay, so in yeah. seven years, you have achieved a lot. Can you try, tell me what a big moment for you, um, a pivotal moment, What what is your proudest achievement to date? I think my proudest is probably BKZ. I think it's the biggest artwork I've made. And, and I like that I see it as an artwork because every day I'm feeding into it. It's almost like a painting that you constantly have to go back to and make. And seeing it be appreciated by community, first of all, um, seeing the people that I work with benefiting from the space and it enriching their lives and their families. I think that's what kind of like life is. It's really more than you as an individual. It's about how can you be of service to other people and almost lead them to their higher self. And I feel like that's what I'm doing with BKZ. And it's also allowing me to grow in that process, Mm. spiritually, mostly. Last question, uh, what are you working on now and what is next for you as an artist and for BKHZ? To be honest, the future is unclear right now because of COVID. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm pouring a lot of resources into sustaining and keeping BKZ open and we're doing narratives on the side. Uh, I'm working on the curation with the team. I am personally painting at home and my pace has changed which I find interesting I used to be able to chuck out a painting in like three hours but now each painting is taking more than a week to be made and I'm writing a lot Uh, I think prior to COVID my soul was just saying you need to be present for your writing I don't think I had the chance to do that as much as I have been able to now while at home. Just also accepting that part of me that there is something that wants to come through me in the sense of writing. And so I'm just trying to manage all of that and also trying to be in a relationship. I I really, I, I think it's time I gave up on my personal space. <laughs> Are you saying you're looking for a relationship? Uh, I think it has found me. Oh, so it's found you. I think, yeah, I think I'm allowing that to happen as well. <laughs> That's amazing. And I uh, wish you so much luck and success and happiness. And it's been really wonderful chatting to you. And I, I actually, we don't know each other very well. So it was very awesome to get to know you better. And yeah, I'm very inspired by you and keep on doing what you're doing and we will keep on watching (laughs) on social media i appreciate that i really appreciate that and thank you for your time as well thanks vanille also your investment in this conversation thank you so much thank you so much to vanille and to you the listeners for joining me today please follow unframed on facebook and instagram and be sure to share this episode with your networks You can also subscribe on Apple Music and please rate and review us as it will help us get more followers. Thank you. See you next time. Bye.